Welcome to Glioblastoma, aka GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories of GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on the show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all information that is discussed in our conversation is what worked for the individual themselves and should not be taken as advice. The information provided on this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. Kate Snedeker, welcome to glioblastoma, aka GBM. It is so nice to be with you in New York and finally meet you after literally two years of hanging out and talking on everything but in person. I know. I feel like we have met so many times. It's so weird. I know. Today, for everyone that's listening, Kate said I look like a give short girl energy. (laughs) Um, So that was a fun way to start our first interaction in person. (laughs) She's 6'9", or (laughs) 5'5". Six nine five nine five nine five nine, and I didn't. I didn't think that. I thought you were like maybe five six max. I respect it, but anyways, good interaction. I'm thrilled to be with you and talk about all things you know your past and glioblastoma. But first, to get started, you are a college student. How is like what is that like for you being a college student running a nonprofit organization? It's like honestly like two different worlds it's super weird like that I still go to class because I feel like um great for glioblastoma like really does take over the majority of my time especially this summer doing it full-time I like forget that I'm a college student because I'm essentially I essentially have like a full-time job with school on top of it so it's definitely really weird and um it was a big learning curve especially it wasn't my nonprofit wasn't my major in college and still isn't. So it's been a big learning curve trying to figure out, I mean, even how to apply for nonprofit status at the beginning and, and everything since then. What is your college major? I'm a youth and community studies major and a business minor. So it's basically the equivalent of an undergraduate social work degree okay. with business on the side. Do you feel like you've learned more working and starting your own nonprofit in the last year versus the last three years of school? Yes. Like a hundred percent. I think I could confidently do so many more things now that I've learned just entirely through the nonprofit and starting the nonprofit pretty much on my own with support along the way, but having to learn how to do things on my own. And what I'm learning in school doesn't necessarily have real world attachment versus the nonprofit, which everything really feels like super hands-on. I've learned so much about like marketing and sales uh, classes that I would never take as a youth and community studies major. So it's definitely been really interesting to learn a lot of other stuff and have a wide range of experience. Um, I'm sure you know Mm -hmm. it. You wear a different hat every day. Sometimes you have to be technologically advanced and do website stuff. And sometimes you have to do accounting stuff. And sometimes you have to post on social media. Mm -hmm. So it completely varies all the time. And so I think that has been such an incredible learning experience for me. And I recommend everyone start a nonprofit at some point. (laughs) (laughs) You started the nonprofit not immediately when your dad was diagnosed with glioblastoma. So like how long into his diagnosis did you decide to create your organization? So after he was diagnosed, I kind of knew for a while that I wanted to do something. I kind of felt not like incomplete, but like that there was something missing. And I thought that for a while, I'm, I'm a very action-based person. So like, I think that that 
aspect of things was missing. And so I would say immediately after I wanted to do something to either honor him or just change the narrative. But well, I remember you reached out to my nonprofit because you were originally going to start a gala, which is so, the Iron Man gala. So and Halloween, then you pivoted. Halloween weekend. I remember specifically it was Halloween weekend because I was visiting a friend and like literally was just laying in bed and had this idea. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to host an event because my background has been in event planning. I worked for a wedding planner. I did corporate events in Paris actually, which we were talking about earlier. I was there last summer, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And so my background has really been in events and I've always loved doing event planning. I'm super organized type A as well. (laughs) And, um, it's funny. I've told you before, like you are me when I was 21 years old. No, I know. And it's, for better or for worse, it is so interesting and, like, cool and, and fascinating to see. So, I yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's so funny. We have, like, the exact same, like, background. Paths. Yeah. Yep. Which is why, like, when I reached out to you, I was like, this is the organization I want to work with. Because mm-hmm. it was, like, we had this connection of, like, oh, we're both interested in the same things. It was both, like, our dads who were diagnosed mm-hmm. and how impactful our dads were to us and, and whatever. And our, our personalities just are very similar. But... Mm-hmm. I but then you decided to make a 501c3 so, so how did you decide to switch so I basically decided I wanted to do an event mm-hmm. I talked with like friends and family and and we knew that I had to somehow figure out how I could have people donate but it without being a 501c3 mm-hmm. and so originally I was like okay I'm hosting this event I should reach out to other nonprofits that are in the brain cancer space or glioblastoma space and ask if I could use their like 501c3 for mm-hmm. partnership and that we would donate the funds. And so I had originally, we had talked about that and went through it. And then I, after just, I think a lot of my family and family friends seeing everything that I had started to do, the work that I had already put in towards the event and just everything that I had accomplished after creating the Instagram page that was just called Iron Man Gala, they, a ton of people just urged me to actually create my own nonprofit Mm -hmm. so that I would be able to have this be an annual event, not just a one-time event. And I can do other events and I can grow a space, a community space for people, which was really my, the most important thing to me. And so from there, I, I got help from legal people to help me apply for 501c3 status. I chose a name and the rest is history. So one of our first projects that we did on social media was wearing gray on Wednesdays, which was adapted from like on Wednesdays, we wear pink from Mm -hmm. Mean Girls. And I kind of, I mean, I just adapted it and did gray and thought it was like a fun little marketing technique to get people to wear gray. So we kept posting about it. And then at first it was, you know, friends and family would wear gray and send me pictures and I would wear gray and I would post it when we had a smaller following. And then, I mean, now I get DMs and emails all the time with people wearing gray Wednesdays and people tag us and, and yeah. So ultimately I knew that I wanted to have the word glioblastoma in the name of the nonprofit so that it would be easy for people to find. And then it, it just became our big project. And I was like, what if we did gray for glioblastoma? And so the, the idea stuck and, and we stuck with it. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. It's nice that you've also built additional events, but besides like that, you do merch as well. So like what gave you the idea to continue fundraising the way you are? Cause I think it's interesting how your community base, not is only generated of Gen Z, but like you have a very strong focus with 
younger people and college students. And so I just think it's so interesting how you've built these like different techniques to like fundraise and market. Why do you think it's been so successful? I think really using social media as a tool has been so beneficial for us because this generation uses social media a lot more heavily than the older populations and maybe even the younger populations. One of the first things that I did after my dad was diagnosed was go to Instagram and search glioblastoma. I wanted to find like something like that that Mm -hmm. I could go to and, you know, just like, I don't know, feel like less alone and feel like they're were other people like dealing with this and people that actually like spent their days like putting awareness out there and stuff and harnessing that power of of social media and the reach you can get has that was originally something that I noticed that there was a lack of and so I knew for my generation that was if that was something I was looking at searching for when my dad was diagnosed I wouldn't be the only one Mm -hmm. and so I really established our our Instagram page before I had even established our website And still to this day, people visit our Instagram more than they visit our website. Mm -hmm. And so we try to rotate content to, to keep people updated and keep sharing like old stuff in different ways because we get new followers constantly Mm -hmm. and people aren't always going to scroll down to the bottom and see, oh, this is the event they did last year and and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. this is how you donate. And this is how blah, blah, blah. So we recently have, we created like a highlight called like new here. And that's where we have ways to donate, link to our website, how to get merch, our different types of merch, Um, how to join Geneva, our chat platform, and what else do we have? All of our resources on our website and all that kind of stuff. And then we also made a post that's like, now what? I've been diagnosed. And so I think those two things really help people be steered in the right direction when Mm -hmm. they reach our page and really figure out what our main goal is. And then furthering that and, and the way that we've kind of grasped this younger generation is I think we did... I worked really hard for like four to five months on merchandise. I did all the designs by myself. Took a lot of inspiration from like Instagram and Pinterest and Visco and like just stuff like that from like sweatshirt designs that I've seen that are trendy and stuff that I thought people would wear on a daily basis um, and buy the sweatshirt just because it was cute or said something cute. Mm-hmm. And like this one has been our most popular one, the It's Cool to Support Brain Cancer Research. Mm-hmm. And that was modeled after something I found that said like, it's cool to mm-hmm. do something. And so I kind of was like, wait, that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I'll just be walking across the street and people would be like, I like that sweatshirt. Where's that from? So that too, just kind of creating merchandise that catered to Our population, our age group, we did like trucker hats and bucket hats, which like you don't see a lot of like 40, 50, 60 year olds wearing trucker hats or bucket hats. And so that's really a generational thing, which was aimed towards like, what is it, Gen Z? Mm -hmm. And so we also have other stuff on our website, but it's funny to see actually like the demographics of people that wear certain things because it completely matches the idea I was going for. Right. And going back, your dad is the reason you started your nonprofit. Can you talk everyone listening through like what that experience was like, like how he found out he had brain cancer and what you did and what, you know, early stages. So when I was a freshman at UT, I got a call one night. It was crazy because it was like a Saturday night and I like, my friends were all going out 
and I like decided to stay in for some reason. I just like was having like, I don't know, like not like a, it was like a weird feeling. I was like, ah, like I'm not going to go out. And my stepmom actually called me and told me that my dad was in the hospital. And obviously I'm like super concerned and, and upset. And my dad is like the figure I look up to, my best friend, someone that I, I could have never imagined life without. And still to this day, like it's very difficult to go through every day without him. And there's a really funny thing that I said in my, in my speech at the Ironman Gala. My dad and I, my dad used to put me to bed every night and like lay with me until I fell asleep up until I think I was like 15. Like I couldn't fall asleep without him laying next to me and we would tell stories and something that I remember really clearly, which he always reminded me of was I was terrified to go to college because I didn't want to leave him. And so we made a pact that when I went to college, he would live across the street. He would get like, like a, like a house across the street from my college and like I said at the gala, like, although, like, it's probably for the best, like, you you don't live across from me at college. Like, I still, like, love you and care about you so much that I want you around all the time. I, like, want to be able to, for you to be involved in everything in my life. And so I'm terrified hearing this. And, and my stepmom proceeds to tell me that he had a stroke and that they were in the kitchen and making dinner. And my dad had just worked out. They both, like, had to work. They both worked out downstairs. And... My dad kept dropping things and they kept joking around like, well, like that must have been a hard workout, like blah, 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 you're tired. And then they sat down to eat and he couldn't use his fork. And then he was having trouble speaking. There were a couple words he kept messing up. And so then some of these signs are signs of, of a stroke. And so my stepmom kind of starts like noticing that and kind of freaking out a little bit. She's like, let's, let's go to the hospital. Like we should get to the hospital and figure out what's going on here. He's like, no, 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 like, I'm fine. And she asks him to write her name on a piece of paper, and her name is Amy. Three letters, not a very hard name to write. And he can't write it. He forgets how. He doesn't know how to draw an A. And so my stepmom takes him to the hospital, which we conveniently lived, like, 10 minutes from, maximum, like, maybe even five. And... So they assess him, they put him on stroke medicine, they see that his, he has like swelling in his brain and they're like, okay, you're cleared to go the next day or whenever, come back in six weeks. And if the swelling has gone down, you're all good. If the swelling hasn't gone down, it might be something else. He's like, okay. A couple weeks later, we went home. My sister and I went home for his birthday, which was in, it's the end of April. And he was still having trouble speaking and he a week later or two weeks later maybe he went to back to the hospital because he had his eye was twitching really weirdly it was having um like a little tremor Mm -hmm. and he just like kind of listened to his body and was like okay like this is not supposed to be happening I need to go back and that's when he found out he got glioblastoma he was alone in the hospital He got a notification on his portal, clicked on it, and he was diagnosed with glioblastoma. Jeez. And so then he's like, obviously goes to Google it. He's like, what's glioblastoma? Finds out it's this brain cancer that, you know, doesn't have a cure and has a very minimal life expectancy and calls my stepmom, who's at home, and she's like, he's like, can you you come here? She was like maybe at home fixing lunch or something or, or whatever, doing some work. 
So she shows up, and then ultimately they decide that they're not going to tell my sister and I until they figure out a plan because they don't probably want us to feel the way that they're feeling. They want to feel, they want us to feel a little bit more secure. I mean, at this point I'm, I'm 18, my sister's 15. Mm-hmm. And so I was like turning 19 and turning 16 that summer. And so they wanted to do, they wanted to have a plan before. So then school ends. I go on a trip with my boyfriend's family at the time and the night that we get back, my dad's like, hey, can you girls come over tonight? We have to talk about something. And my sister and I knew it was something about his health because of the stroke, but we never thought it could be as serious as it was. So end of May, they told us that my dad had glioblastoma. They told us a little bit about it, and they told us we have a plan. We didn't want to tell you until we had a plan. We're talking to surgeons. We're deciding on a surgeon this week. We have one more call. We've had incredible talks, blah, blah, blah. My stepmom is involved in, like, the biomedical field, and so she had connections who also worked their connections to try to, you know, get in contact with the best surgeons possible to try to remove as much possible. And I remember I sat in on the last call they had, and that was with Dr. Reardon and Dr. Chioka, and that's when they talked about the clinical trial and... It just was a really, really strong connection between the surgeon and, and my family. We, he had a son that was going to UT in the fall. He, I think, had someone, I think he went to Ohio State for med school or something like that. And my dad is like a huge Ohio State fan. And so it was just one of those things like it was, it was meant to be. And so then a couple weeks later, I went, to, I went with my dad to the surgery. It was me, my stepmom, and my aunt. And it was so scary hearing that he was being operated on and going to be awake for part of it and, and everything was just, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. My stepmom sat at the hospital during the procedure. My aunt and I walked around downtown Boston and went shopping and just tried to distract ourselves for a few hours and got lunch. First time I tried Clam chowder. Okay. And um, and we just kind of, like, we prayed and, like, hoped for, like, the best result. And then, I mean, this is still, like, during COVID times. I mean, mm-hmm. they just, I know, I want to say, like, last month lifted the restrictions at Dana-Farber and Brigham Women's mm-hmm. that now you can actually, like, go into the hospital without a mask and you don't have to have, like, an appointment and such. And so then we heard the surgery ended up well, and and I got to see my dad after, and um, I went to his second surgery too, and just kind of was along for the whole ride. Were your friends there to support you? Like, who did you talk to as soon as you found out that your dad was dealing with this? I definitely reached out to my friends and my boyfriend at the time, and they were all kind of big supporters of me, but I kind of kept it private at the beginning for a few months because I don't know if I just didn't, I I didn't want to share. I didn't, I, or I didn't feel strong enough maybe to share what was going on. And, or maybe it was that I didn't want people to know. And it seemed like more of a personal matter, whatever. I don't remember my like logic behind it. Um, even if there, there may not have been logic behind it, but I remember that whole summer I like didn't really go out 
Um, I didn't see my big friend group that much. I saw some people in my like smaller friend group, just kind of spent time with my family. I don't know. Yeah, I, it was really hard for me to like reach out to people about it and talk about it. And I think a big part of that too, even now is like people don't really know how to help. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they always feel like they're going to say the wrong thing or that they're going to try to make you laugh when you want to cry or and grief is such a complicated thing. And, and watching someone with a terminal illness is, is another really difficult thing in itself. And those two combined, I think people really, really don't know how to help. And so I definitely went through times where I would, I finally did. Everyone ended up knowing, especially when I decided to start this nonprofit and everything at that point everyone kind of had to know and everyone was super proud of me and supportive and there for me I have one friend that's kind of been my rock throughout the whole thing because her mom passed a few years ago and so she was one of the few people that I I knew like resonated with how I was feeling and and now creating this community I feel like there's a lot of people that I can share how I'm feeling with I mean after my dad passed back in March I remember like posting about it on Greyford glioblastoma and had so much support coming in. And I remember I took a week off of just like life and went to go stay with my godparents in Miami. Literally just sat at the pool, sat at the beach and just relaxed. And I remember I posted something on social media being like, I promise I am I will respond to emails and DMs next week. Like I'm taking some time and relaxing, like doing what's good for my mental health, blah, blah, blah. And I remember so many people responded and were like, we're here for you. Like, take all the time you need. You built this so that we could have support and now we're giving you support back. And it just was a very, very welcoming space. And now I I, I feel like I could reach out to like anyone and ask for support and whatnot. But mm-hmm. yeah, my friends have really been a rock, especially this past few months after my dad passed. And Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is proud to sponsor the glioblastoma, AKA GBM podcast. Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is a small biotechnology company hoping to make a big difference in the treatment of glioblastoma. Using their proprietary nanotechnology, Biodexa is developing liquid formulations of an investigational drug which can be delivered directly and locally into the tumor via an implanted catheter. This drug has been previously investigated in pediatric patients with brain tumors. Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is currently running a clinical trial in patients with recurrent glioblastoma known as the MAGIC G1 trial. To find out more about the MAGIC trial, visit magictrials.com. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gametile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the gametiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, menginomas, gametile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and a far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gametile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gametile.com. Gametile therapy is an FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Novacure is pleased to support the glioblastoma, aka GBM, podcast. Novacure strives to extend survival in some of the most aggressive forms of cancer through the development and commercialization of their innovative therapy called tumor-treating fields. 
Novacure partners with the glioblastoma research organization to work together on behalf of patients and their loved ones impacted by GBM. To learn more, visit novacure.com. Ruin was built by a team of patients, caregivers, and medical experts, consisting of neurosurgeons, neuro-oncologists, psycho-oncologists, radiation oncologists, nurse practitioners, and social workers who have devoted their lives to treating and helping glioblastoma patients. For anyone navigating GBM, Rune offers a wealth of medically vetted digestible video answers to common questions. Answers are organized into major topics ranging from surgery to radiation to caregiver mental health. Check it out at rune.com. How did your dad respond when he told him you were starting a nonprofit in honor of him? I don't really know because I think it was a mix of him being like so proud of me, interested in what I was doing and wanting to be like front and center as a supporter, my biggest fan, as he always was. But I also think it scared him because I created this thing to honor him. I think, I mean, he held out so much hope. Like, he was so much stronger than everybody else and just was this radiating image of just, like, light and strength and positivity and just he, like, knew that he was going to be okay. And so I think it was hard for him to to see that I was starting this thing and it was the constant talk of like this fatal cancer and this cancer without a cure, this, all of these like different negative statistics that glioblastoma has. And they're not meant to deter people and make people upset. They're just meant to inform and and help spread awareness. But I think that it was difficult to have his daughter having to advocate on behalf of this cancer that he like unfortunately had. I think that I think that it would be a different story if I started if I started a nonprofit that didn't have to do with him, you know, mm-hmm. or that had to do with a cancer type that was curable and wasn't as like emotionally, physically, spiritually painful. But I think it was really this like like sour and sweet type of thing where he loves his daughter so much and he's so proud of me and wants the very best for me. And I see him still shining down on me and and wanting the best for me as opportunities pop up. I know that it's him looking down and saying like, you're supposed to be doing this, you're doing this right, everything's happening. What's supposed to happen is going to happen with the nonprofit. And just giving me, opening up all these opportunities and helping me grow the nonprofit. But I think it was definitely really hard for him to see that front and center. But I know he I know how much he enjoyed the event we did because his friends from high school, his friends from college, his friends from work, tra- everyone traveled to come to this event because it was the first time they were going to get to see him after his diagnosis and and everyone was there to support him and support me and I think that it was really really impactful for him and for me and and I still have a lot of people that reach out to me after he passed and say that event was so amazing. It was the last time I got to see him and we're so thankful that you had it and blah, blah, blah. So I think it, I think that was one of the biggest moments that he really was the most proud of me. That's so nice to think about. I know for me, it's like, so my dad never knew that I started a nonprofit. So I think it's an interesting from like your perspective to hear that, like he was there. I think that's really cool and probably really special for you too. Yeah. Being that your dad has been there through the entire journey of your nonprofit. You've been like, go, go, go since before he even passed away. Do you feel like, you know, everyone has like their own grief and they process it differently. But do you feel like there are things that you avoid in processing just because you are constantly advocating and constantly like, go, go, go? Yes. 
I've always been that way. <clears throat> like, I always am go, 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 even when I'm not necessarily dealing with something. I always have just been busy and I stack my days and I stack my life and I have multiple jobs at the same time. And I mean, in high school, I literally like had an internship, worked at a clothing store and babysat and like somehow also did like school and Mm -hmm. like applying for college and AP exams and, and all of that on top of having like a social life and like a family life. And so I've always been that person that like has a million things on my plate. And I like that. I like being busy. I can't nap. I hate napping because, like, I feel like I'm wasting time and I love to have a million things to do. But I think that with this grief and the anticipatory grief that I had, it sometimes made it really difficult because I would have a million things on my plate and I'd reach a point where I literally wouldn't be able to get out of bed, let alone do the million things that I have on my plate. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really, really hard the past, like, year and a half dealing with, or I guess it's like two years now, dealing with my dad, or a year and a half, dealing with my dad um, before he passed. And especially when he started getting really sick and kind of going downhill the pa- the few months before, I ended up taking off of school, really putting the nonprofit aside, um, and just I would just lay with my dad for, I went home, beginning of January and was home pretty much with a couple weeks. I was back at school visiting. I went to Dana-Farber to make my donation. Um, and I visited friends at Tulane for Mardi Gras, which was a nice like break from everything. But besides that, I was really just home, like trying to feel everything and trying to, you know, just be present and And I didn't have the mental capacity to do school and do the nonprofit. But if I were to choose one thing to do during the day, it would be the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I definitely use it as a way to kind of push things away. If I'm busy all the time, I don't have time to think about it. I've gotten a lot more, actually over the past like year, gotten a lot more comfortable being alone. After he was diagnosed, I could not be alone because I didn't want to be left in the silence of being alone Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to think about it and especially with the anticipatory grief of it and then I would say now I've allowed myself the past few months to give myself time give myself space whether that was taking the trip to Miami and just allowing myself to relax which I normally uh, it's very difficult to let myself relax as I said with the whole napping thing (laughs) and so I just I like went to the beach and wrote a book it was so peaceful for me and I think that was super super necessary now I'm all go go again but I definitely it's always been really important to me to you know like take time for myself to make sure like my mental health is in check um so I would say like mentally I'm feeling okay I mean it, it depends like in an hour I could be crying but that's that's how grief is and like I take it one day at a time mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm at a place where I can do that like with the nonprofit and stuff if I need space for a day I can take it and so what I've been doing is like when I'm feeling like okay one day I'll sit down and and do it for 12 hours so that if there's a day later that week that I'm not feeling okay and I just want to lay down mm-hmm. I'm able to do so I definitely still like I mean I'm surrounded by stuff with my dad all the time and 
I'll be like at home and see something that reminds me of him and I'll start thinking about him and then I immediately like try to switch my mind to something different Mm -hmm. which is definitely me pushing it away and I think staying busy there's less opportunities for me to push it away I think that's normal though I did the same thing like when my dad was diagnosed or actually when when he passed away I went to Asia and I was, my mom was like, what are you doing? I was like, peace out. Like, yeah. I'm like, on a plane to go, yeah. I got a one way to yeah. Japan. And she was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. And then I came back and then I was running around between Miami and New York doing event planning like we talked about. Yeah. And literally all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then it's, and it's been five years since my dad passed away. And it's not honestly until like the last couple months that I'm fine being in the same city. Yeah. To be fair, I've been all over because the podcast, but like. Before that, like, for two months, I was like, okay, like, I'm good. So, like, it definitely takes time. Yeah. And I think that's, like, super normal, too. Yeah. I also, I've always been very, very in tune with myself. I mean, like, I've gone to therapy for, like, forever. And that's what my therapist that I've had for a really long time has always said is, like, you know yourself so well that, like, you come here and, I and, and like, it's solely so you can, like, speak. Like, you literally, like, therapy yourself. Because I just know what's going to what's going to help me and what's not. And, mm-hmm. and so, and I listen to that. And if going to New York isn't going to help me, it's going to make me really upset and remind me of my dad and put me in a deep, dark hole. I won't go because why would I purposely do that to myself? Do you think that you're purposely like, cause obviously you don't want to forget your dad. No. But how do you feel like it's interesting because you have a nonprofit in honor of your dad. So you're constantly around it. But you're saying, like, if New York, you know, example, were to subject you to thinking of your dad, you wouldn't do it. So, like, where does that boundary lie for you? It's less of, like, like would would I be really upset traveling to New York and spending a few days here Mm -hmm. and, like, having to, like, be go, go, go while I'm here? If that were to, like, make me really upset mentally, like, I wouldn't have come. Got it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's It's not as much, like, having to do with, like, my dad. It's more, like, will going to this party when I'm, like really sad be Mm -hmm. helpful or harmful to me do you think that you like after it's been these five years of you traveling and and doing your nonprofit, do you think that you've like had the time to process everything with your dad or do you think you're still processing I think I have and I think it's like an interesting slash kind of loaded question I don't mm-hmm. process things like most people, like you. I started a nonprofit and I was around this every single day. Yeah. And so that makes it harder. That's how I wanted to like deal with it. And by talking about it every day, it was like in my face, like I kind of had to deal with it. Because a lot of times like in my life, I run away from things. I got on a plane and then I was like between Miami and New York, I couldn't, I couldn't sit still, like sim- yeah. similar. Like I would get literally five jobs at a time. <laughs> Because, like, I, I found time to manage it, but, like, yeah. it gets exhausting. Yeah. And then you burn out. And then you're, like, what am I doing? And then it, like, resets. It's, like, oh, well, like, I've reset. Like, let me go, like, to Europe now. You just, like, <laughs> do all these, like, random things, which is fun. But it took me a very long time. Only in the last, like, couple months, like, can I, like, am I comfortable, like, being with myself? Mm-hmm. And, like, listening to, like my dad's favorite songs like cake by the ocean this guy like had the whole thing memorized and like learned the dance it was like on his ipad it's like such a random song it's so random i also i forgot that song existed yeah no it's it was like his favorite song like my dad's favorite like, like, what bruce springsteen yeah like that's Which, like, like it's more, like, dad. more of, like a normal yeah, dad yeah. song no he would like watch his ipad like in his bed and like it was like really funny headphones that like had like a mouthpiece on it oh, for my some dad reason had those too. and he would just like learn the dance i was like what are you doing but yeah so it definitely like 
took a while. So. I can't watch videos and yeah. listen to my dad. I frantically, after, or, like, when he started, like, declining, I frantically saved all his voicemails. Mm-hmm. Same. I have him, like, three copies, like, in an email. Like, multiple email accounts. so yep. many. Mm-hmm. But I can't listen to them yet. I can't. But it's also two months. Like, you're, I know. It, I know. You I know. will. I know. Eventually. I like, know. it's there when you need it. Yeah. Yep. I accidentally heard his voice, like... A month ago, and I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It was so scary. Do you ever think about, like, hopefully we're going to reach the point someday that that there's a cure. And there's – we f- someone figures out the cause and, and everything like that, and, and we don't need to be funding research anymore. Mm-hmm. What would you do with your nonprofit? What, what would you put funding to- – like, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, like – we both fund research Mm -hmm. and we would obviously have to like change what we do a little bit. And I'm trying to think, I guess maybe like I would pour it more into like community. That's a really good question. Actually a really good question. Thank you. I would love to like, who's being interviewed here? Both of us. (laughs) I think if it got to that point, I would like, I mean, it's, it's on my life goal to do list to like make my own cancer center. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's fact. awesome. So it'd be cool to like have like a proper like center yeah. and like research and like like a, like a center, like whatever, yeah. everything that comes with it. And so. Or like something specific. For brain cancer. So kind of like Catherine Ivy, she's like a huge inspiration yeah, to yeah. me. Like, and I interviewed her a couple weeks ago, which was awesome. But like she's built the, one of the biggest brain cancer yeah. centers in the U.S. Like she is badass. Mm-hmm. And so like I would love to be like that where. So like. A, it's always going to be research that needs to be done. Like even yeah. with like breast yeah, yeah. cancer or any other cancer, like it's, it's not like you're still researching things and there's things like you're never going to know a hundred percent about anything. Yeah. And even things we know a lot about, we still don't know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, Kate, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks I'm excited that we to got hang. to have an official chat. I feel like we text all the time. So it's really funny. 24 seven. Yeah. We're, we're always literally doing the same thing too. Yeah. Um, it was so funny. You texted me last week and you're like, I'm so tired. And it was like a picture of your computer working. And I was like, same, same. Send me a like, picture of your computer here's working. Here's me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And thank you. I'm very you proud of be you too. Very proud of yourself for what thank you've done. You. It's nice to see. I feel like you're like, you know, again, like me and the younger version. So it's cool to be like outer body experience. I, I, I wonder if you're, our, you're our dads are like holding hands right now. For sure. Looking down at us. I bet they are. They're like, those are our kids. What's up? Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm so proud of you. And you. I'm excited for all of our future collaborations together. Me too. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Glioblastoma Research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at glioblastoma research organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week. Welcome back to another Deep Dive with Staff Strong. Today, let's talk about this episode with Kate. What was your biggest takeaway? Kate's someone who's like us. Yeah. Right? Has lost someone to this disease, has 
gone through plenty of difficult moments because of that, but use that grief and, and those troubles to start something great, right? And I think that's one of those things that is starting to happen more and more in that influence and focus on funding research after losing someone. Again, when we started going through this, there, there were some, I'll say Goliaths, right? Some really large organizations. I wasn't finding a lot of those smaller organizations mm-hmm. that were doing big things. So hearing her speak about that and, and knowing, right, at her individually, I know you are very close with her, it resonates because mm-hmm. I remember being in those exact footsteps, right? My brother, her dad, but deciding to take that and, and do something that maybe not a lot of people would do. Mm-hmm. I love that. So like when she first started, I know she reached out to my organization to essentially help her. Like she wanted to do this event and it was going to be, you know, powered through my organization. And then she decided to start her own 501c3. And I was like, wow, like, look, like she's like, you know, I was 21, 22 when I started this and she's 21, 22. And I think it's cool to like see her grow and see how she's building her nonprofit in such a unique way, like targeting, you know, Gen Z social media, which I think is fantastic. But I also really like, I feel like I'm a mentor to her. Mm-hmm. And then I look at you, I feel like you're like, you know, like mentor, like older brother to me. So I feel like we're all this like little like yeah. glioblastoma, cute little family. So yeah. it's it's been cool and it's cool to see her grow. And I feel like it's nice to have like, I feel like all of us, especially like you started this when you were in your 20s. And mm-hmm. I, it makes me really happy to see people that are so young trying to do exciting things. And it shouldn't be just like, you know, these major nonprofit organizations have like, you know, older leadership and you just, you know, you don't see people like in their twenties doing you this. Need and disruptors. I think it's so exciting. You need disruptors. Yeah. That's what you are. Mm-hmm. That's what Kate is. And that's what you are. That's what I look, try to be. Right. Yeah. And I think that is a big difference in this space. That's why bigger dollars are, again, you take our three organizations out of the, of the mold. There's a lot of money that's gone that, you know, isn't yeah. going to research. Right. So even just in a very micro sense, those three organizations even just continuing at, at bare minimum what we're doing is making a complete difference mm-hmm. in this space. And I think it's hard for us, right? Because yourself, Kate, myself, like, go, 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 right? It's difficult to run a nonprofit essentially alone, right, mm-hmm. without a staff of 10, let's say. <laughs> um, but to take a step back and, and say, this is what I've gone through. This is what I've built. This is the hope we've been able to provide for other people. And this is the community mm-hmm. that now stands with Stash Strong, right? With GBMRO, with Gray for Glioblastoma, right? So, such an incredible community that's getting built because you, Kate, myself, took a difficult situation and, and turned it into change. And we didn't have this mm-hmm. during any of our glioblastoma experiences. So it makes me very happy that, you know, unfortunately people are continuing to get diagnosed, but I'm happy that they're not as alone as we were mm-hmm. in this whole thing too. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about it off air, right? The amount of people who reach out to you, who, who DM, mm-hmm. I'm going through this and, and you immediately, you know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And again, even if another three of our very similar organizations pop up over the next five years, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I think the more we can do in different networks, cities, parts of the world that are driving that change, it gives another family another outlet that they might find when they're going through that. And to me, that's exactly why we do what we do. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of Deep Dive with Staff Strong.